This is an encore presentation of Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Enjoy the show once again. which translates as Musicians from Lviv and Chajzheve Vilna Ukraina, Long Live Free Ukraine. Dobry večer, šanovni radio suhači, ta vitaju vas vsih na radio predaču Naš Holos Radio Krinskoho Korinja na bahatomovni radio stanci AM 1320 CHMB u misti Vancouveri. Pre mikrofoni Pavlina Makwari, djakuju šturišale parabuti zimnoju na stupnu hodenu. Hello there and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio coming to you on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver. I'm your host, Paulette Demchuk-McCory, Pokrinska Pavlina. Thank you so much for joining me on this week's show, Ukrainian Jewish Heritage and a book review about the famous Rebbe Menachem Schneerson and uh, his roots, deep roots in Ukraine. As well, we'll take a little trip down memory lane with Victor's vignettes and Victor, unfortunately, Victor Sergeyev, whose stories uh, comprise Victor's vignettes, has is no longer with us, but uh, his stories are timeless, so we're going to share that one, and it really fits nicely with this uh, Ukrainian Jewish heritage feature. 
And another treasure from the Nasholos Audio Archives, remembering the First World War internment of Ukrainians in Canada. And that was recorded in 2011. As well, our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next, Viktor Morozov, originally from Ukraine, a very prolific and popular singer for many, many years. He is now living in Toronto. And here he is now with a song called Oh My Dear Ukraine. Сон не скінчиться ніколи, ти будеш одна, твій портрет за більшки столоні, розтане між хмар, між дивних людей. to the foresight and generosity of its donors, the Shevchenko Foundation has been investing in the future of the Ukrainian-Canadian community for over 50 years. Since 1963, the Shevchenko Foundation has been funding initiatives that strengthen our Ukrainian-Canadian identity and enhance our Ukrainian-Canadian cultural heritage. These include fine and performing arts and arts groups, museums, cultural centers, education, as well as authors, journalists, and the Ukrainian-Canadian media, including this program. The Foundation strives to become the premier not-for-profit foundation in a Canada which acknowledges the Ukrainian-Canadian community as a fundamental component of Canadian society. Nash Hollis listeners are encouraged to support this vision through continued donations into the future. To apply for grants, make a donation, or for more information, visit ShochenkoFoundation.com. Ukraine is under deadly attack, and Ukraine War Amps is asking for your help with a tax-deductible donation today. Funds are desperately needed by Ukrainian defenders for bulletproof jackets, helmets, walkie-talkies, food, water and gas, and by civilians, including children, for food, water and medications, and when possible, escape to safety. Please donate today to Ukraine War Amps via PayPal, e-transfer to ukrainewaramps at gmail.com, or visit ukrainewaramps.ca.
their album Nefsemenaya, Not Everything Fades Away, that was Privit from Montreal with a song called Spring Breeze, Viter Vesniane, and that is music put to the words of Ukrainian poet Lada Moholinska, and she was a Ukrainian patriot who was imprisoned, murdered, and her memory defiled by the Soviet regime. And her tragic life story has inspired Privit to do this song and honor her memory and her work, and I suspect more in the future. Again, that was Privit and Spring Breeze, Visnyane Viter. And coming up next, another musical hero and icon of Ukraine who inspired many musicians. Uh, since his passing in 1979 after being brutally murdered by the KGB. And the song, well known to all Ukrainian patriots, and it is called, of course, Chervonaruta, from a live concert performed by Volodymyr Ivasyuk, the composer. <laughs> Чарувала, червоно 
Oh, oh, oh. 
And a group from Edmonton called the Euphoria Band, and that is from their CD released a couple of summers ago. And that song was called Yapidouv de la Quijore, I Go Into the Far Distant Hills. And that is a modern adaptation of uh, one of Volodymyr Ivasuk's well-known and much-loved compositions. Up next is a group from Winnipeg no longer together, but uh, they left behind uh, several CDs, and this is from their third, called Shum Unplugged. Here they are now with basically the story of Ukrainian immigration to Canada. settled down and our warrior Cossacks looked sadly round to see how many brethren they had lost they'd cry out at the heavy cost it wasn't the first time their swords had clashed and they knew very well it wouldn't be the last they'd pray to God they had a war to win their beloved homeland would rise again this new land. They prayed to God in heaven above, how much more could they withstand? They placed holy crosses into the ground, and soon new strength to go on was found. Their faith had brought them another day. They'd get back on their feet and say, they'd say, Many sacrifices, many went to heaven's gate. But when the winds of freedom swept across Ukraine in the summer of 91, you could hear generations from the past join together with those of today as one and yell, I watched my father be laid to rest in this his, but not his land. I looked my boy straight in the eyes, and I'd pray to God he'd understand. I said, this was a faithful son of Ukraine. Remember and cherish this bond. And then my son looked at me, and he said with a strength that seemed to come from a world beyond. He said, Kovalskinis' cultural capsule, especially for Nasholis. While Canada is often considered to be like a poster child for democracy and human rights, it hasn't always been that way. In fact, during the First World War, new Canadians who carried a passport of the territories of what was then the Austro-Hungarian Empire were treated not too kindly by the Dominion government of the day. After many years of lobbying the Canadian government, primarily spearheaded by the Ukrainian-Canadian Civil Liberties Association, the federal government provided a $10 million endowment fund in order to commemorate the thousands who were unjustly interned 
at 24 internment camps located throughout the country. One of these and the second largest of the camps was located at Spirit Lake, Quebec. And on November 24, 2011, an official opening ceremony was held for the Interpretive Center, which opened its doors to the public in late June. In attendance were Ukrainian community leaders, representatives of the clergy, as well as local and federal politicians, including Minister of Citizenship, Immigration and Multiculturalism, Jason Kenney, and members of Parliament, Peter Goldring, Bernard Trottier, Christine Moore, and James Bazan, who noted the experience of his grandparents. You know, my father, my Guido, uh, immigrated to Canada uh, early in, in the first wave of migration from Ukraine, and World War I broke out, and they were declared alien enemies. They thought they were new Canadians. And although they weren't interned, nor did they have any of their property stripped away, as had happened to 8,500, there was 80,000 total across Canada that had been declared alien enemies. And they had to report into the Northwest Mounted Police on a weekly basis. And if they didn't, then they'd get arrested and thrown into an internment camp. While Mr. Bazan's grandparents were never interned, there were many who were, including Mary Ann Manko, who had served as honorary chairperson of the National Redress Council of the Ukrainian-Canadian Civil Liberties Association. Mr. Kennedy recalled her story. The late Mary Ann Manko was born in Montreal. She was the daughter of immigrants from a part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire that is now Ukraine. Marianne was six years old and living with her family in Montreal when the war broke out. They were all arrested, her father and mother and their three girls, under the War Measures Act. One of Mary's sisters died during that year and they were interned in this very place. Let us pause for a moment to remember and pray for little Nellie Manko, aged two and a half, and all the bewildered people who were interned here. I'm Vasily Pavlovsky, and this week's Cultural Capsule featured the opening of the Spirit Lake Internment Camp Interpretive Center, and I would like to thank Simon Kuklevsky of Ukrainian Time in Montreal for providing me with the audio of the opening's official program. This is CHMB AM 1320, Vancouver. From Winnipeg and uh, many, many years ago, that was uh, Mickey and Bunny with Chorine Orel, Black Eagle. And now, Ukrainian Jewish Heritage on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio, discovering unknown and untold stories from the past and present of Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage. 
In this edition of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage, we will be discussing our fellow countrymen, Rebbe Menachem Mendel Schneerson, written by Dr. Larissa Levchenko and Dr. Vladimir Shukin. Our fellow countrymen examines the history of the Rebbe's family in the Mikolayu Jewish community, based on records from the state archives of the region. There are six chapters written in both English and Russian translation, examining the Rebbe's family roots, as well as his leadership of the powerful Jewish organization named Chabad. For almost a century, the fate of three generations of the large Levut Yanovsky Schneerson family, who gave the world several prominent public and religious figures, is connected with the city of Mikolayu. The first chapter begins in 1840, with the founding of the Jewish community in the area of Romanovka, near Mikolayu, under the leadership of the Rebbe's great-great-grandfather, Rabbi Avraham David Lavut. He was officially appointed as rabbi of the colony in 1845, and in 1857 was also elected as rabbi of the Mikolayu Synagogue. There he became a strong community leader and a respected scholar. The Rebbe's maternal grandfather, Rabbi Meyer Shlomo Yanovsky, was also a prominent spiritual leader in Mikolayu. He became a rabbi at the new synagogue in Mikolayu in 1907 and served there until its closure in the late 1920s. His daughter Shana became the mother of the Rebbe. She married Levi Yitzhak Schneerson in 1900 in Mikolayu. Their first son, Menachem Mendel, was born in 1902 in Mikolayu. The Rebbe's parents continued to live in Mikolayu until his father, Levi, was offered the position of rabbi in Ekaterinoslav, renamed Dnipropetrovsk in 1926. After their move to Dnipropetrovsk, his father became a prominent religious leader, which led to his arrest by the Soviet authorities. He was accused of conducting an anti-Soviet agitation of slanderous and defeatist nature and regular communication with his son, Menachem Mendel, who was considered a Polish intelligence agent. He was sentenced to expulsion to Central Asia for five years, where he died in 1944. In 1947, the Rebbe's mother was reunited with her eldest son in New York City. In Mikolayu, the Rebbe's uncle, Shmuel Zalmanovich Nierson, also became a respected spiritual leader of the Chabad Jewish Synagogue. In the 1930s, the Soviets closed Jewish synagogues in the city. In 1942, the Rebbe's uncle was indicted by the Soviets, just like the Rebbe's father. He was sentenced to three years in labor camps, where he became very ill. He died soon after being released. The final two chapters of the book deal with the Rebbe, Menachem Mendel Schneerson and his wife Chaya Mushka, as well as the revival of Jewish life in Mikolayu at the end of the 20th century. The Rebbe was born in Mikolayu in 1902, but was six years old when his family left. He maintained ties with his grandparents and his uncle's family. Even after leaving Russia, and despite the great distance, the Rebbe always remembered not just his small birthplace, but also Ukraine as a whole. He left the Soviet Union in 1927 and married Chayamushka in Warsaw in 1928. They moved several times and arrived in New York City in 1941. In 1951, he became the seventh Rebbe of Chabad after the death of his father-in-law, Friedricher Rebbe. He was known as a great scholar and advisor to many powerful leaders, including Ronald Reagan, Jimmy Carter, and Yitzhak Rabin. The Rebbe's impact was truly remarkable. 
His influence spanned the globe in campaigns for the lighting of menorahs by American presidents, prayer in public schools, and Jewish emigration from the Soviet Union. He worked diligently to foster leadership among his followers and established charitable foundations, such as the Chabad's Children of Chernobyl organization, to provide relief to victims of the Chernobyl explosion. Readers who enjoy biographies of important historical figures will be interested in this examination of the Rebbe's family roots in Mekolayu. This is the first examination of the Rebbe's life written by non-Jewish writers from Ukraine. The book was written both in English and Russian translation in an effort to make it more accessible to the Ukrainian population. It could perhaps have been written in Ukrainian to reflect the new realities in Ukraine. The intricate detail might be difficult for some readers. However, scholars will find the inclusion of photographs, letters, archival documents, and chronologies useful. Larissa Levchenko is a doctor of historical sciences, as well as the director of the State Archive of the Mykolaiv region. She has done extensive research on the history of archives, presented at numerous conferences, and published extensively. Vladimir Shukin is a doctor of philosophy and associate professor. His research interests include the history of the Jewish population in southern Ukraine, as well as the history of Ukrainian culture. He has also presented at numerous conferences and published extensively. Our fellow countryman is available at Judaica World and the Jewish Educational Media Store. I'm Myra Janik from Toronto for Nashkolos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Until next time, Shalom. Join us again soon for another episode of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage here on Nashkolos Ukrainian Roots Radio. to Victor's Vignettes, stories about life in Soviet and post-Soviet Ukraine by Viktor Sergeyev of Mykolaiv, Ukraine. I am Sergei Kaznady in Toronto. The year was 1991. Two young men from the University of Jerusalem arrived in Mykolaiv. They were both Orthodox Jews with traditional black beards and black hats and to my knowledge, the first Americans to come to our city. They came with a mission, to attend the reopening of a synagogue that had existed in our city before World War II. I met them through my friend Igor. Igor is Jewish, and some of his family had emigrated to San Diego, California. Igor knew how much I loved to speak English whenever the opportunity presented itself. One lucky day Igor said to me, Come to our newly created Jewish children's summer camp, and you will be able to converse with Americans. The reopening of the synagogue was a great event for Mykolaiv Jews. The few who did not take part in the great exodus of Jews leaving Ukraine for Israel. Some preferred to remain in our city and restore at least some of what together the Nazis and Soviets destroyed, such as this synagogue. But our two young visitors knew very little about it, so they turned to me, a native of the city, for help. They said to me, it's located somewhere at Moskovskaya Street. We do not know the address exactly. Can you ask the old people? Possibly they can still remember the place. Well, I was young at that time, so I asked my mother if she knew anyone who could help my friends. She also knew about my love of speaking English, so she asked around on my behalf. Finally, she located an old Jewish woman. I asked her, do you know location of the synagogue that was in Mykolaiv before the war? She said, we had six synagogues in Mykolaiv. Which one do you mean? I said, the one that will be reopened soon. Don't you know which one is that? 
She said, do you know the ancient monumental building that was the Soviet Medical Workers Club? That building was the synagogue. And so our visiting Americans finally found what they had come for. As it turned out, only one was actually an American. His name was Beryl, the other was named Israel, and he was from Israel. Beryl was very approachable and friendly. So my friend Gennady and I invited him over for dinner. It was a bit of a challenge. He asked for kosher food and absolutely new glasses for drinking. He explained how we could provide a kosher meal, eggs and vegetables and no meat at all. Of course, we knew nothing about kosher food. For that matter, we had not even heard this word before. So we called what we made for him pseudo-kosher food. Many of our local traditions made him wonder, for example, fish and beer. He found the combination odd, which surprised me. Personally, I think fish and beer is a good and natural combination, and it's actually kosher, or at least pseudo-kosher. But I guess, for our Jewish-American friend, it was a matter of personal preference. Gennady and I had the great pleasure of speaking only English all evening long. It was such a rare treat to meet foreigners in our city. In Soviet times, Mikolaev was closed to foreigners for military purposes. Today, the Internet has opened up the world, but the world was a very different place in 1991. Beryl told us about his life in America. He had been a young street gangster in New York. Then he found religion, and his life changed dramatically. His words reminded me of the stories I heard told by various religious missionaries who came to our city. I attended a few of their meetings, not because I was interested in religion, but because I wanted to speak English. As it turned out, the missionaries were from all over the world, Mexicans, Gypsies, Indians, Koreans, and others. So much for speaking English. I did tell them, though, that if they wanted a receptive audience for a message strong on religion and weak in English, they should find another place for their mission. I told Beryl this story. It made him smile, and he said, let us not talk of religion at all. There are many other things to speak about. And so there we were. We spoke about various other aspects of life and discovered that our lives differed dramatically. I saw Beryl only once since that evening. He ended up becoming the head of the synagogue. Many years later, someone, I don't remember who, told me that he died in a traffic accident. I still remember with fondness August of 1991. It was a momentous month. My darling daughter Julia was born. It so happened that the night we dined with Beryl, my wife was eight months pregnant. And that month, August of 1991, Ukraine became an independent country. I am Serhii Kaznadi in Toronto, Canada. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Victor's Vignettes, stories from the life of Viktor Sergeyev in Mykolaiv, Ukraine. For audio archives and links, visit www.nashholos.com. So until next time, do pobaczenia!
Julian Catasti and Michael Alpert from a recording they did several years ago now uh, was a project, uh, Songs from a Neighboring Village, a collaboration of Jewish and Yiddish folk songs. And that was a medley of a Yiddish folk song I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. And the other one was the Ukrainian uh, folk song was Ususi Dachatabila, My Neighbor Has a White House. We're bringing it closer to home, Millennia, another Edmonton group, and here they are with a song that is sure to bring back fond memories for Ukrainian dance families.
Ne and our proverb of the week translates as a clean deed is not always done by clean hands. And that brings us to the end of another edition of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver. Just a reminder that the Nanaimo edition of Nasholos can be heard in the Vancouver listening area on CHLY 101.7 FM. If you missed the on-air or live stream broadcast, the podcast link is available at our website www.nasholos.com. Well, our time is about up, so to take us to the end of our program, Prairie Crocus from Winnipeg and the By Request Band from Steinbach. I'm Pavlina on behalf of all of us here at Nash Holos and AM 1320. Thanks for listening and Dobranich! One, two, three, four!
Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.